Welcome to the UM's Connected Podcast, a resource offering spiritual formation in the Wesleyan tradition through a metaverse community. I'm your host, Steve Harper. Well, this is the second episode in a five-part series entitled Believing. If you listen to the first round of podcasts that we have produced here at UM's Connected, you know that we're following what I'm referring to as the formative flow of Wesleyan community. We started with the word connected, and that was our way of saying that Methodists belonged to one another in some significant ways. But in coming together, in belonging, they also experienced believing. And so that's the section that we're looking at right now in this second round of podcast episodes in this five-part series. In the next round, we'll go on to how the Methodists lived their faith and how we seek to live it today in the Wesleyan tradition as United Methodists. We're turning today in the second episode in Believing to the, to the doctrinal standards of the United Methodist Church as spelled out in part three of the Book of Discipline. We looked last time at paragraph 102 in which we showed that um, we believe in concert with all other Christians. Uh, that's what that first paragraph in part three of the Book of Discipline emphasizes, that we begin our understanding of our theology by placing it in the context of Christianity in general. So paragraph 102 looks at some of those common affirmations that we make with other Christians. Uh, we pointed out last week that John Wesley took that same approach in his tract, The Character of a Methodist. Before he described a Methodist, he wanted to make it clear that Methodists were none other than genuine Christians. We make that same witness in part three of our Book of Discipline. Paragraph 103 is an interesting paragraph, and I'm not going to deal with it in this podcast episode, but if you have a copy of the Book of Discipline, you'll want to read it, because what it does is it takes those common affirmations and Wesleyan uh, distinctives and then shows how those have developed in history, in Great Britain, in British Methodism, and then in North America in uh, since 1784 in the American Methodist Church. It's an interesting historical summary that you'll want to look at. We concentrate this week and next on paragraph 104, the doctrinal standards and general rules. Um, we do this uh, noting that those two are kept together in paragraph 104. Now, that's, that, that may just look like a neat way of organizing, but that's significant because it's a reminder that in the Wesleyan tradition, beliefs and behaviors are part of a seamless garment. We don't separate what we believe from how we enact our beliefs, and neither do we live the faith without doing so from the rootage of Christian theology. So, faith and works go together. Believing and doing are part of a seamless whole. 
Paragraph 104, the doctrinal standards, is a very important section because in the time in which we're living, uh, there are a lot of uh, statements made about what United Methodists believe or especially what they allege not to believe. Paragraph 104 makes very specific what our beliefs are. And I want to remind you, as I did last week, that when you ask the question, what do United Methodists believe? You don't go either to individual differences of belief, which Christians always have with one another. We don't line up exactly alike 100% of the time. So when you ask, what do United Methodists believe? You, you, you don't look at individual variations and, and then try to impose that individuality on an entire denomination. And neither do you uh, allow rumor and innuendo based on falsehood and misinformation to skew your perceptions of what United Methodists believe. That's why we're answering the question, responding to the question, by using the Book of Discipline. That's the only place where, where we seek to answer as a denomination, what do we believe? Paragraph 104 is very important in helping us understand what that is. So, we begin first of all with the Articles of Religion of the Methodist Church. Now, you'll remember that John Wesley, as an Anglican priest, already had 39 Articles of Religion in the Church of England. Uh, the Anglican Prayer Book, which was uh, at least started in 1549, continued to evolve uh, also in its theological articles. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it started out with like 10 Articles of Religion, and then by 1571, when the list was finalized, there were 39 articles. In our Articles of Religion, there are 25 with two additional ones, uh, which we'll look at in the course of this episode. What Wesley did was he, he, he looked at his faith, which in and of itself was a very ecumenical faith, or at least was intended to be, and he wanted that same spirit of ecumenism, that, that same spirit of, of doctrinal substance, uh, to be at the foundation of the beginning of the Methodist Church in North America. So, the Articles of Religion, as they are found in the Book of Discipline, uh, are written uh, as they were approved in 1808 by the General Conference of the Methodist Church. Um, that was just, uh, what, uh, 16 and 8, 24 years after Methodism had begun, uh, as, as, as a church here in North America. Now, 1808 is when those were, were put into the Book of Discipline. And what I want you to see is that they were, have been placed there as non-amendable. See, that even strengthens the fact that, uh, we have, uh, substantial, uh, doctrines and beliefs. In fact, uh, the General Conference is not allowed to change the Articles of Religion or the Evangelical United Brethren Confession of Faith. That's where we're going to focus our time today. But you need to remember that these are not to be changed. They cannot be changed. They are protected by a restrictive rule.
That's that's that that's not just uh, uh, building a hedge of protection. Uh, that's telling you in another way we really believe these things. Don't let anyone try to tell you differently. So let's go to paragraph 104. We're going to have to walk through it quickly because there there are 25 articles in the original Methodist set and another 16 articles in the EUB Confession. But uh, many of them are the same. So we'll, we will use the Articles of Religion of the Methodist Church um, as our primary focal point and then show how the EUB Confession of Faith um, reflects the same theological substance. Well, the very first thing to notice in, in Article 1 is that we believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe that the, that the, the everlasting God is triune in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, both uh, in visible and in invisible sorts of ways. Visible, of course, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, but invisible also through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Article 2 says, We believe in the Word, the Son of God made flesh. Article 2, for all practical purposes, is what John says in chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Article 2 is about what we might call the earthly life, the incarnation of the Word in Jesus Christ. But Article 3 then goes on to say, but it's important to note that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Paul said, didn't he, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. And that's exactly what the Book of Discipline is saying in Article 3. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We believe in the resurrection. Then Article 4 says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, and is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Now, almost everything else in the Articles of Religion comes out of a pneumatology because we are, we are living now in the Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ, who says, Abide in me and I in you. Now, I'm not going to get into the theological nuancing of abiding in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and whether those are synonymous or whether there may be some differences in what the Bible understands those two things to be. Essentially, essentially, we hold them together because we believe that Christ is risen. And Christ is either present with us through the Holy Spirit, or as he said at the end of John's Gospel, he's sending the Holy Spirit to be with us as an advocate as a comforter, as a paraclete. And that's Article 4. And as I said, in some ways, that sets the stage for everything else. So Article 5 says, we believe in the Holy Scriptures as sufficient, all sufficient for matters of salvation. Uh, all things necessary to salvation. Now, uh, the article avoids getting into a, dis getting into a controversy over uh, the difference between inspiration and inerrancy. 
Uh, we just simply say as United Methodists, we believe in the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures containing all things necessary for salvation. Then Article 6 does focus on the Old Testament because that's that's a question, isn't it? You know, some people just carry around a New Testament, maybe with the Psalms and Proverbs uh, at the back. Uh, and so, uh, Wesley, with the Church of England, with Christians of all times, wanted um, to make clear that, that, that we have one book and that the Old Testament, as the article says, is not contrary to the New Article 7 talks about original sin, but it's important to note in that article that it does so against the backdrop of original righteousness. We don't believe as uh, Wesleyans that, that the story begins in Genesis 3, original sin. We believe the story begins in Genesis 1 and 2 with original righteousness. We'll probably come back to this in some future episodes when we when we look at what it means for God to have made a very good creation and what it means that the gospel, as Lisa Sharon Harper has written about it, is a very good gospel. Article 7 is about original sin, but not as the starting point for the story. Original righteousness is the story. That leads in Article 8 to the matter of free will. A lot of people say, well, you know, if uh, we have the will to believe or not to believe, we guess have the will to do anything. Well, we don't have the will to save ourselves. Article 8 says, we are in need of God's grace. Uh, activating our will, cleansing our will, transforming our will, all of these things, our, our will is not taken away from us, but it is not... Uh, it is not the all-sufficient means. Uh, that is God's grace. Natural strength, natural ability, natural talents, intelligence, all the things that we can measure humanly are important and necessary, but grace infuses them all. Then Article 9 talks about justification by faith, the great Protestant uh, uh, doctrine, uh, and then follows that in Article 10 with good works which follow from our justification. Article 11 uh, talks about works of supererogation. These are voluntary works, uh, maybe not uh, commanded by Scripture, but a lot of good things, Article uh, says here, a lot of good things are to be done simply because we are followers of Christ. Article 12 Interesting is entitled on sin after justification. Wesley was accused in his doctrine of Christian perfection as believing that once you had been sanctified, you no longer sinned. Wesley uh, made it clear along with the articles of religion and Christians in general that we can still sin even after we've been justified by faith. Therefore, we are in constant need of repentance. One of the Wesleyan doctrines is the repentance of believers. Then in Article 13, he talks about the church. It's a brief article, but it opens the way to an understanding of the collective nature of our theology. We are not holy solitaries, as Wesley called people who believed in a me and Jesus kind of spirituality. No, the church is the necessary 
a body of Christ that binds us together. Then Article 14 talks about purgatory, and that's uh, interesting. It just simply says we don't believe in that, even though some Christians do. Article 15 is also interesting because uh, Wesley uh, wanted the people called Methodists to understand that um, in the congregation, in the time of worship, we want to speak in a language that's understood by people, not misunderstood or not understood by them. Then in Article 16, he looks at the sacraments as a whole, showing that we believe there are two, and that the other five are ordinances, very important, very important, matrimony, extreme unction, and so forth. These are very important, but in Protestant Wesleyan Christianity do not attain to the status of sacraments. Then he begins in Article 17 by looking at baptism, Article 18, looking at the Lord's Supper. And then Article 19 is interesting. It's entitled Of Both Kinds. Um, there were Christians uh, before and after Wesley who would only offer the bread and not the cup. And so uh, the Articles of Religion say uh, that when people come to receive Holy Communion, they are to receive both the bread and the wine. And then Article 20 goes back to a grand doctrine of the, the, the final salvation uh, finished on the cross. It is finished, said Jesus, and we bear witness to that as Christians in the Wesleyan tradition. Then you've got an article on the marriage of ministers because uh, Wesley wanted to show in our doctrinal standards that that's possible for clergy. Article 22 is interesting because the rites and ceremonies of churches, which is what this article is about, shows that uh, these doctrinal standards, these beliefs can, can be contextualized. Uh, we would call Article 22 today theology in context. Uh, 23 uh, is about the rulers of the United States of America, even as in the Anglican articles there was a statement about uh, the magistrates and uh, and and about the monarchy. Article twenty four is Christian men's goods, and that simply says that what we have been blessed with in a physical way should be used for the common good. Should we uh, uh, should be used for the edification and the enrichment of life of other people. Article twenty five, which was the last article in the original list, is about a Christian man's oath. And that's simply saying that even though the scriptures teach not to swear, that in relationship to civil matters, Methodists were allowed to say, I promise to give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, two final articles, sanctification and the duty of Christians to civil authority, have been added to this list. They were added afterwards and even though they're very important, they're part of our doctrinal standards in the Book of Discipline, they are not, uh, they, they are not part of the restrictive rule. Well, here we are. And we move then into the EUB Confession of Faith, which in 16 articles says essentially the same thing. Faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the Holy Spirit, faith in the Holy Bible, the church, the sacraments, uh, free will, and even uh, 
the propensity to sin, even as Christians. Uh, reconciliation of our lives in Christ, justification, regeneration, good works, sanctification, uh, a final judgment, the importance of public worship, uh, observing the Lord's day, the Christians and property, that responsible use, that stewardship dimension, and then uh, the um, uh, respect for civil government. The articles, the confessions, not amendable, not changeable, foundational, we believe. Wesley added two more things to the standards, and I'll mention them briefly. They're in paragraph 104 as well. He added the standard sermons. Uh, now, in the Anglican tradition, Wesley had homilies. And so he, he wanted a similar uh, document for the Methodists. The, the homilies were, were uh, how theology is preached and taught. And that's what the standard sermons show us. They show us how these doctrines that we've looked at very quickly in this episode uh, become preached and taught. They were given to preachers and to, to uh, class leaders so that uh, not only did they have the articles, but they also had ways of showing how those uh, are expanded and interpreted, declared, proclaimed, and witnessed to. And then Wesley also added explanatory notes upon the New Testament in 1755 and gave those also to the American Methodists. He took, uh, made some changes in the text. It's not exactly a new translation, but there are places where he departed from the King James Version. And then he adds this wealth of notes, again, for the purposes uh, to help clergy and particularly laity in the Methodist movement to teach uh, the people what our faith really is. Well, my goodness, what we've done here. And we've only looked at half of paragraph 104. We have looked at the bedrock. We have looked at the foundation. Uh, believing is based on articles of religion. Believing is based on our confession of faith. Believing is based in the sermons, standard sermons of Wesley. Believing is based on our explanatory notes of the New Testament that Wesley uh, made and bequeathed to us as the people call Methodist. Oh, dear ones, we have a heritage. It's spelled out in paragraph 104, part 3 of the Book of Discipline. If you want to know what do United Methodists believe, don't listen to rumors and innuendos. Don't uh, make individual differences a broad stroke that covers a whole church, uh, but does so in a spurious way. Come to part three of the Book of Discipline. Read and reflect, and you will find yourself caught up in a living faith where you will be able to say, I feel my heart strangely warmed. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Well, that's our episode for today. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope that you'll tell others about UM's Connected Podcast, and that you will plan to visit us in the next episode next week. If you would like to contact me about 
anything related to UMS Connected, you can do so at UMSConnected at flumc.org.